On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I talk about the lessons I learned at the podcast show and why I need to start treating this podcast like a business. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 121 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is the place where I tell the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own, sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. I hope you're well. I hope you've had a good week since we last spoke. The time is one minute to 10. I'm here in the office in Wales, as is always the case, it seems, these days. Um, and the reason I'm recording this so late, uh, well, there's actually a number of reasons this week has been hectic, period, but we will come on to that. Uh, but the key reason that I'm recording this so late is we have been doing a trial for that project that you might remember I spoke about over a year ago, that new part of the business that we have been slowly building out. Last time I spoke to you about it was about a year ago. You'll remember that I spoke about the fact that at that time we were testing things, we were doing trial runs, and we were kind of gearing it up to softly and quietly launch. And whilst that part of the business hasn't yet publicly launched, there are clients of ours and there are brands out there who are aware that we have been building this thing and so now there is a slow trickle of real clients who are coming to us for this service that I'm still not going to speak about, but I know through conversations that many people listening know what it is because I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with you, but today was one of those client days. I almost said what we were doing there. <laughs> the cat is not coming out of the bag today. I'm sorry. Um, and so Dan was in the office. Uh, we had Lee in the office and we were working on that project. Um, and it was really stress-free, actually, compared to the trial runs that we did this time last year. Um, it was actually a blissful day. I'll be honest, because I was trying to get involved and be useful where I could be. Spoiler, I wasn't that useful. But nonetheless, I was trying to be useful where I could be. It means I didn't actually get a lot of real work done today. But nonetheless, it was cool to see that thing that we've been uh, building and wanting to launch in the background kind of slowly come to life with real paying clients and with brands that you have definitely definitely heard of and so today was a nice uh, if not productive day it was a very nice kind of watershed day because it's another step in the direction of building the arm of patter that we have been speaking about for over a year getting it operational and just getting it in a place where we're ready to launch it and that time isn't yet we're not going to be speaking about it publicly too much right now um, but with that said, we're also probably not going to do the kind of secret uh, building it in stealth and then launching massively thing just because, frankly, um, the, the time isn't there to do it right now. Everything else is so busy with the business. Um, and I'll come on to talk about that, I'm sure. But paradoxically, I want to first speak about how I've basically not been in the business this week because um, Monday was a busy and a very, very productive day, actually. So I use a thing called Ever Hour to track my time inside of Asana. And um, I will typically find that I get between four and five hours of like real 
actual work done each day when I'm in the office. Um, and if you're listening to this and you have an office job or a nine to five or you run a business and you think that you're mega productive, I challenge you to actually record your time in ever hour and don't bullshit yourself when you are focused and working on a task. And by that, I mean, actually working, not on Facebook, not on Instagram, not checking the news, not talking to a friend, not replying to a text. When you're actually solidly, deeply working, you record the time. And when you're not because you're doing any of the above, you don't, right? And so proper deep focus work, I normally get four, maybe five hours worth done. Monday, I was just feeling good. Like everything was in a good spot. I was well rested from the weekend. I felt like because I had a proper weekend off, I could really go at it. And I got exactly on the dot seven hours of proper deep focused work done. And I imagine that because in the back of my mind, I knew that I was going to be away from the business a lot this week. That was one of the main reasons. Um, and so then on Tuesday, I uh, worked in the office for a few hours, uh, went to get my hair cut uh, over with Josh. And then I went off to London. And this is a funny story because I was going to be in London on Wednesday for the podcast show, which is something that I'll talk about in a minute. But I was going to stay in Luton because hotels in London right now, especially when you're booking them last minute, which I did. I literally booked it the day I was traveling, like very, very last minute. Hotels in London right now are incredibly expensive. I imagine it's a combination of things like the Jubilee coming up. Summer is kind of here. Um, tourism is back. COVID is gone, right? There's a high demand for hotels. And so when you're booking last minute, we're talking like 250, 300 pounds for a hotel room in London. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to pay that to to sleep for a few hours, frankly. So I thought I would book a hotel in Luton. I followed the logic of look around London at areas I know on the outskirts or just outside of London, find somewhere which is more reasonably priced, book it, get there, sleep there, leave. Because that's all I was doing, just sleeping, right? Didn't need a fancy hotel. And so I booked an easy hotel in Luton. And um, Chloe is to blame for this. Chloe, if you're listening, this is your fault. Because I know that Chloe has stayed in easy hotels in the past. And she said that they're fine. They kind of do the job. They're okay. Like, they will pass. And again, bear in mind, I was only going to sleep. I didn't want to do any work there or have any food. Literally, turn up, sleep, leave, done. So, booked it. Didn't think anything of it. And then just before I left the office, at about 6pm, just before I got on the train... I thought, I'm going to look at the reviews of this hotel because I'd looked on maps to see where it was. I'm like, okay, the hotel location's really good. I just want to read some reviews. And I can't tell whether reading those reviews was the best or the worst thing I could have done in that moment. Worst because I didn't stay there and I couldn't get my money back. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Or best because actually by reading those reviews, I didn't put myself through the the misery of turning up there and checking in and having to stay in that hotel so if you're not driving if you have your phone near you go to google search on google easy hotel luton and just look at some of the pictures on google and tripadvisor and then read the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of one star reviews and just the themes that come up over and over again the heat because there's no aircon the absolute state of disrepair, the constant smell of drugs, the trouble that goes on in there every night, the absolute 
lack of care from the staff. I just thought I can't do it. I, I genuinely, the word I use is brave. I was not brave enough to see it through, to, to get that train to Luton and to go through the, the sheer apprehension that I would have been going through as I walked through that door and said, hello, I'm here to stay in your hotel that I've read such crazy things about. So I didn't. I got on the train and I looked around on booking.com and I settled on staying in a hotel in Heathrow, which in itself was a fucking nightmare. Let's talk about that. Um, so, I, I mean, firstly, I'm not sure how often you stay in hotels near airports. I've done it a couple of times and every time it happens and I can't describe why, but getting to, for example, the other day, took the Elizabeth line, the uh, the purple train on purple train day, I took the Elizabeth line from Paddington to Heathrow, got off at Heathrow Terminal 5. And of course, you'll remember the last time I was at Heathrow Terminal 5, I was flying out to the Netherlands for that meeting maybe seven or eight months ago now, which feels very recent, right? When you go to a ho- sorry, when you go to an airport, you're kind of excited to travel and you're looking forward to what's to come and you get to go on a plane and all of these exciting things. And it was the weirdest thing because walking through Terminal 5 between the Elizabeth Line platform and the exit where I eventually got an Uber, um, I had the feeling that I was excited because I was in an airport and I was off to somewhere exciting and I wasn't. I was off to the outskirts of Heathrow in a Prius and it was just the weirdest feeling. Um, but before I got into my Prius, it was my plan to jump onto like a shuttle bus that cost like a fiver to get to this hotel. And bear in mind, Heathrow is like one of the biggest airports on the planet. It is a very busy day and night airport with transfers in and out of that airport towards hotels throughout the night. So imagine my surprise when at 10 to 11 at night, I got to the bus stop for the transfer bus and it ended at half 10. I thought, what is this? I felt like I was back in Wales. Buses ending at half 10. Um, and so I had to get an Uber and that was a faff. And I got to the hotel and the hotel was actually dreadful. <laughs> my key card didn't work in my room door three times. So it took me 45 minutes to check in because it was just carnage. And then it took three attempts of putting my key into the door and then going back down to reception before the fourth time. She was like, oh, maybe the uh, maybe the room is just locked. I'll just give you another room. Eventually got in there, didn't get to sleep properly until half three in the morning because it was so hot and the aircon wasn't working and I couldn't be bothered going downstairs to talk to reception because they were busy and there was nothing they could do about it. Frankly, the aircon was just broken and you can't open the window either because it's soundproofed for the fact that it's right at the end of the Heathrow runway. So I got to sleep at three-ish um, and I had to be up at seven. Uh, and so just as I was getting to sleep, it must have been like an hour into sleeping. I heard this noise and I thought, what the hell is that noise? And so I looked at my window and uh, I didn't realize this when it was in the dark, but the, the sun was just coming up and I could see that, like I say, the hotel was at the very edge of the runway at Heathrow and the morning flights had just started landing. And so I had the worst night sleep you can imagine. But the reason I was in London and what I got up to that next day actually kind of woke me up. It energized me um, between that and breaking my caffeine rule and drinking many, many overpriced flat whites all day to just keep going. Um, like I said, the reason I was in London was because on Wednesday I went to the podcast show. And 
you have to forgive me because I was saying this to Dan today, but it seems like recently all I speak about on this podcast is this podcast. But the podcast show was incredibly, incredibly interesting. And it taught me some lessons that I guess I just want to think out loud about here because to be honest, I got back from London at like 11 p.m. yesterday into Wales. I woke up at seven today. I had a meeting and then I've been working on this thing all day out there. And so I haven't really had a chance to reflect on these lessons, but there are a couple of core themes that I took away from the podcast show and the speakers and panelists there and the companies and people I met, uh, which I think will kind of shape the future direction of this podcast, certainly this year and definitely into next year. Um, And so the idea of the podcast show is that uh, it was in the Business Design Centre in Islington in London, right next to where I got mugged, actually. Funny story about that. Might tell you later. Um, I got mugged like seven years ago. I don't mean yesterday, but it was in the same area. Um, Anyway, we digress. Uh, And so the idea is essentially that there are a bunch of professional, highly successful highly paid podcasters there who are sharing their insight and their lessons. There are all of the platforms and providers there, both talking and exhibiting. So we're talking people like Acast, like Spotify, like Anchor, like BBC Sounds, like Global, uh, like Shaw, like Riverside, all of the people that you know if you're a podcaster and all of the people who you rely on without even knowing about it if you listen to podcasts. Like the service and technology providers in the back end were all there. And also there were just thousands of either podcasters or, as I learned, although I didn't realize before I went, lots and lots of aspiring podcasters, people who wanted to go there to kind of get that push they needed to begin, right? And so there were talks from people like Louis Farou. And Emily from Newslight, Emily, Emily, whose surname I can never remember. Um, and so it was really interesting to hear the two of them speak, because if you look at the people that they have interviewed between them, um, prime ministers, presidents, royals, cultural figures, strange people, um, they have interviewed basically everybody and they are absolute masters at interview. And so me, somebody with a podcast who's trying to creep into the world of interviewing it was really interesting to hear the two of them uh, be interviewed by Alice Levine speaking about their interview styles and just kind of some of the things that they've learned through their lifetime careers of going out there and speaking to people and trying to generate these organic but kind of produced conversations as they do so that was really interesting Um, I wouldn't say I took anything tangible away from that one necessarily Um, but I was just happy to hear Louis Farouk speak. And he said a funny quote, which was something like he was hesitant himself to get into podcasting because he always assumed that there were more people making podcasts than listening to them. And I'll be honest, that's, that's a stereotype that I joke about constantly. It seems that every white male on the planet has a podcast and there just isn't a need for all of them. However, um, that was kind of dispelled by other talks I heard, for example, the CEO of Acast, whose name, I don't know, apologies, Um, He spoke about just how big of a opportunity podcasting is right now. And despite the fact that there are these enormous players, people like Joe Rogan, who seem like they have the market cornered, podcasting from a numbers point of view is actually really in its infancy. I believe there are fewer than 100,000 podcasts that upload frequently, could be butchering those numbers. Um, And the listener numbers of podcasts, not 100,000, 800,000, maybe 
something like 800,000 podcasts upload frequently. Um, not 100,000. And the numbers of people listening to those podcasts is growing exponentially. So actually the the demand is massively outstripping the supply. And so that just kind of reassured me that I'm 121 episodes into this now, but I'm early. And despite the fact that it feels like I got into this incredibly late, I didn't. This is still the early days. As a medium, it's very much in its infancy. And also just as a reflection more generally, something that I picked up as a vibe yesterday. Yes, podcasting in quote marks has been around for a fairly long time. For example, there was a guy speaking who worked on the Apple podcast team at Apple for 15 years. Like it's been around for basically as long as me. It's just audio on the internet. Podcasting in its kind of new true form is only really a few years old, right? I know that the first time I listened to a podcast was probably four years ago. And I was fairly early on on that adoption curve. I know friends of mine who have only really just started listening to podcasts in the last two years since lockdown. And so it was reassuring to be told by peers and um, industry titans that even though we might all feel like we're late, we're not. Um, I went to a talk by Shaw, which was interesting, Shaw the microphone company, because you hear me hype constantly about the SM7B, the microphone I'm using right now, the microphone you can hear in your ears right now. And it's a microphone that has been around for decades, but kind of accidentally, as he put it, became synonymous with professional podcasting. And I thought, truthfully, that the the hack for good audio when it comes to podcasting is get a Shure SM7B, plug it in, crack on, right? And so the audio you're hearing right now, not least, not least because it's quite late and I'm not going to do any of the processing that he taught us, um, this is just raw Shure SM7B audio. However, uh, he laid out four or five really interesting, really quick steps that can be taken to make this audio that you're hearing right now using four pieces of editing and one piece of hardware that sits in the middle of the microphone and uh, the interface sound far better, sound genuinely like broadcast quality, like what you hear when you stick on Radio 1. And so when I get a bit of time to work that workflow out, I'm going to be implementing that because although I think that comparative to most podcasts, I think that my audio is either reasonable or better than most um, there's still a lot to be done right and although I love hyping about pushing this on YouTube because I want to uh, reach that monetization criteria frankly as a vested interest I look at the analytics and the far majority of people who listen to this still listen audio first and so I'm taking a little bit of time to invest into making this audio better between now and the end of the year just seems like a no-brainer because there's basically no cost involved I need to buy one piece of hardware, which is like 150 quid. And then the other four things are just working out a workflow. So hopefully, as good as I think this currently sounds, it should sound better in the future. So that's good. Um, and then the other really big thing I took away from pod, uh, from the podcast show, sorry, is that, and again, I was talking to Dan about this today as I was reflecting on these lessons with him. But as much as I don't think it is, as much as this to me feels like a hobby, the theme that I kept hearing from the panelists and speakers and partners at the podcast show is that this thing, especially for somebody like me who plows every year literally thousands of pounds into this, who puts hundreds of hours into this, who's published 121 episodes, who's been going for two and a half years, 
as much as I don't treat it like one, this is a business. This podcast here could be and should be treated like a business. Now I'm going to go into what I mean by that and kind of what I've learned around that. But the first thing to say is that I don't think that treating a podcast as a business and treating a podcast as something that can still be value-led, value-first, trying to give the best content to you as the listener are mutually exclusive. I don't think that these two things need to exist independent of each other. I think that they can um, almost complement each other, right? And my hesitancy uh, in the past of thinking maybe this could be a thing that makes money is because I thought that that was almost like a a dirty way to look at it. I thought that it was wrong to assume that this thing that I give to you for free could one day make me money. But literally time and time and time again, whether it was the big panelists like Gary Lineker, who spoke about how he has built one of the biggest podcast production houses in the country with podcasts which are constantly in the top 10 without he himself ever recording a podcast, that shows that podcasting can be and is a business whether it was listening to a talk on subscriptions from people like uh, the head of partnerships at patreon talking about how you can use patreon to connect with your listeners and yes turn it into somewhat of a transaction but actually do it in such a way where you're not taking money from listeners you're actually giving them far more value than you ever could by just doing the free podcast um or whether it was speaking to sam from acar sam who funnily enough is the person who in the very beginning, encouraged me to make this podcast. So Sam and I have known each other. We were speaking yesterday, actually, it's the first time we met in person. We've known each other for over a decade. Um, I knew Sam before the Young Apprentice days, and he at the time was working in TV commissioning. And there were a couple of ideas that he tried to get commissioned onto TV back when I was like 15 and 16 that involved me. They didn't go anywhere, but Sam and I stayed in touch. And he, about two and a half years ago, moved into being the Uh, UK and Ireland content director for Acast, Acast being the app that this podcast is hosted on, Acast being the app that most of your favorite podcasts are hosted on. And so two and a half years ago, uh, when I was on a flight to Paris, I messaged Sam and I said, you've been telling me to do a podcast. I'm ready. Here's the idea. Here's what I think I'll do. Um, And so he pushed me into it. But Again, speaking with him, he was saying the same things. There is absolutely no reason why, whilst continuing to focus on providing value of this, whilst continuing to do all the things I want to do, there's no reason why I shouldn't aim to also generate revenue from it. And I said to him, I said, I'm never, maybe I'm thinking too small, but I'm never going to make a profit on this podcast unless something miraculous happens, right? The costs are high, the revenue streams are low. However, and this is a conversation I had with Sam, if I can offset some of the costs, if I can generate on the front end more money to put into the back end, that just helps to improve things, right? You would have heard me spoke over the last two or three weeks about the investment that I've made into this microphone that you can hear, the camera that you might be watching this on, if you are, the lighting that you can see, right? All of these different things, the softwares, the processes, the people, the um, Callum who makes the trailers, uh, the guy I know who makes the thumbnails for YouTube. There's lots of money that goes into this and there's no money that comes in. But Sam's logic is if I were to approach this in such a way where I allow it, to generate revenue because right now I don't allow it to generate revenue. I do nothing about it generating revenue. 
that just allows me to do this more seriously and plow more into it. And so I think the biggest takeaway I took from the podcast show is that podcasts, whether I like it or not, are businesses. And as Dan kept joking today, I actually run two businesses, right? There's Patter, there's the main business, but then this podcast should be and could be a business. And so I'm going to be spending some time over the next few weeks just kind of reflecting on that and thinking about the best way to approach it. I'll be honest with you, what my temptation is, is to launch a few things on Patreon where, um, you know, like a very low entry tier, where if you've just listened to an episode and you thought, yeah, that was cool, um, you just like four quid, chuck a few pounds in, like it just kind of offsets the cost of maybe some of the hosting, because like even hosting a podcast costs like 30 pounds a month, um, or some of the recording through Riverside, which is another like 30 pounds a month. Um, and then like a middle tier where it might be like, I drop episodes in there as soon as they're recorded so you can get early access, maybe like, I don't know, 15, 20 pounds. And then like a 30 pound tier where you get exclusive access at the end of each month to a um, kind of hour long separate episode video where I talk about what I have actually learned more generally in life over a month. So like a monthly recap, something like that. Um, and then there are other things that Sam spoke about, like even higher tiers that frankly, I don't think anyone would buy, but nonetheless, to just put it out there. Right. And so I think that the, that the direction I will take trying to monetize this in the medium term, at least is Patreon, um, and just asking for your support, right? If you've listened to this podcast for, well, any duration of time, whether it's two and a half years or two and a half weeks, but you feel like this gives you more value than, um, you give to it and if you're in the position to do so then patreon i think is the way that i can I, i've listened to the patreon sales pitch clearly but patreon is the way that i think i can connect with listeners and turn this more into a community and make it more self-sustaining right because i say i do this for me but really i do this for all of us right i know that there is a group of us that listen to this every week like i do i get into the car on a friday morning and as i drive to the office i listen to this and obviously i get different things from it than you do because I'm the one saying it but nonetheless I want to turn this into something that can sustain itself and go for longer and go further and all of those things and Patreon is the way I think I'll go now there's nothing immediately in the works to be honest however what I would say or what I would ask is whether or not you would actually pay for a Patreon subscription is somewhat irrelevant to me what I want to know if you're listening to this if you're watching this is if I were to launch a Patreon on the back of this podcast to connect more closely with those who listen to this most uh, intensely what kind of things would you want right because it's hard for me I mean I spoke about this last week when I'm like it's weird to call myself a podcaster it's hard for me to appreciate that despite the fact that I see the analytics and I know that people are sat there listening to this right now I know that you're sat here listening to this right now it's very hard for me to appreciate that there are people on the other end. It's very hard for me to appreciate the fact that that people want this, right? And so it's even harder, it's an even bigger leap for me to think that actually people might want to contribute a little bit of money towards this podcast. So let me know, what would you want to see if there was a Patreon? And if you have a specific suggestion, let me know the kind of price that you would personally pay for it. Just drop me a, a DM on Instagram where my name is Spooner Sean. Uh, or Twitter, or email me. My email address is out there somewhere, I'm sure. Just get in touch. Let me know, because I'm intrigued, because 
all of the cases that I heard at the podcast show encouraged me to think in this way. And it is an absolute U-turn from where I was literally 48 hours ago. So like I say, whilst this isn't immediate, whilst I'm in this period of reflecting, it would be really useful to hear from you, the listener, because ultimately this podcast is for you, the listener. It's the reason it gets published after all. And so I want to hear from you. So do get in touch. Um, And I'll be honest, I think that's everything other than the fact that I met Gary Lineker. That was a random one not really into football, as you know, but I was walking out of his talk. He and Fern, Cot- Fern Cotton had just gave a talk at the podcast show. Um, and as we're leaving, it was about two or three minutes after he got off stage. I looked to the left of me and Gary Lineker was there and someone asked him for a picture and he seemed happy enough to take a picture. And so I thought there's no fucking way I'm letting Gary Lineker, like actual Gary Lineker walk past about asking for a picture. And it was the funniest thing because he is a professional selfie taker, if ever I have seen one, because um, he looked like he couldn't be asked to be in this big crowd of people who had all come to see him in as much as he must get it daily, right? He's on the TV two or three or four times a week. He has been for decades. Everybody knows Gary Lineker. He must get stopped constantly, right? And so he looked like he was just in a bit of a rush, but I just happened to be right next to him. So I literally looked to my left and I'm like, Gary, is all right if I get a quick picture? And his face went from like, can't really be bothered to be here. He said, yeah, not a problem. He stopped walking. He put on the most TV perfect smile you've ever seen. Like his face went from can't be asked to big smile, like in no time whatsoever. He stopped, he smiled, he stared directly at the camera and he did so for about 2.4 seconds until he saw that I had taken the picture. And then his face dropped again. He went back to being himself. He said, thank you. And he walked off and it was so rapid. It was literally the the consistent action of a man who has been asked to take tens of thousands of pictures in his life. And it was just so interesting to see because I'm sure that there are there are a good few hundred people out there who are like that, right? You imagine Justin Bieber, Ed Sheeran, your favorite musician, whoever they are, right? They have the process of taking a quick but happy looking selfie with a fan and keeping them happy while saving their time so regimented and I've never seen it in real life and so it was just funny to see Gary go from kind of normal human to smiley celebrity back to normal human whilst next to me in the space of about eight seconds um so yeah I think that's everything there is the story of the mugging in Islington which I might talk about in a few weeks time because I got mugged as you know maybe four or five year, five or six years ago, whenever it was. And um, I never knew where it was. And I walked down the street and I recognized it. So I'm going to tell you that story, but not right now because it's late and I need to get this published. So I'll leave you on that cliffhanger. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you have a good week. And I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 122 of Life and Lessons. See you then.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.